Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello again, I'm Ken Rundle, and with me for a discussion on establishing oilseed rape, I have Mark Tucker, Yara's head of agronomy, and Liam Wilkinson, technical specialist with major seed company Limograin. Oilseed rape was once a key part of every arable rotation, but dropped out of favour when pest control became more problematic. Now though, international events have raised oilseed prices to levels where more farmers are returning to the crop and planning their autumn programmes. So it's the right time to review both best practice and new developments. Mark Tucker, for what are in some ways tragic reasons, I suppose, the prospect for oilseed rape have improved markedly, haven't they? Um, yes, they have. And as you say, Ken, we've gone through quite some changes, really, from the highs of when oilseed rape area was in the order of 700,000 hectares to the more recent lows where it was nearer the 300,000 hectares in 2020. So, yeah, some real changes. And through that time, then we've also seen the dramatic changes in values associated with the crop. Again, back in 29, we were looking at budgets of sort of £340 a tonne for November um, 2020. Um, but then, of course, the nitrogen price was down at the £255 a tonne. So some real dramatic changes. You roll that forward now to oilseed rate um, just 12 months ago at 502 but now farmers budgeting nearer the sort of £725 a tonne. So a real real change that's happened there again as well the change in the input values and i mentioned there nitrogen clearly on the top of people's mind and phosphate now at sort of record highs um, so yeah farming itself is high risk um, but oilseed certainly introduces that risk of and the challenges associated with establishment, so making it sort of possibly a bit more risky if we're not careful. So I think now is absolutely a great time for sort of farmers and advisors to to rethink the crop, have a look at, at what they've had success with and um, what they might introduce differently into their sort of management practice. It's not a case of just slipping into the old routines. It is a case of taking this thing seriously now with all the pressures. Yeah, absolutely. And the encouraging thing as well, when we do the over fertiliser, obviously, you know, from Yara's point of view, fertiliser is that critical input. Um, but when we do those margins, when we do the numbers, then believe it or not, the farmer is in a better position. And then the, the margin over fertiliser investment at today's all seed values, and that, of course, is the critical bit, um, is around twice what it was. So a uh, lot to play for. And plan ahead. Yeah, good plans. I think that's the thing. And what we, what I would really would say, it's that sort of classic um, time now. If we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. And I think that um, that's, those words have never been more appropriate. Liam Wilkinson, if I can introduce you, I suppose, strangely, the elephant in the room is a beetle, uh, which did and can do so much damage. What's the latest advice on living with the pest? Yeah, Ken, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is actually relatively low flea beetle pressure um whether that's to do with with the demise in the area um i think that's still made to be seen there's a lot of research being done into that um what growers have tended to do is look into more the genetic packages that we can offer uh, and that tends to be greater vigor in the spring uh, in the autumn and in the spring um i think with the flea beetle you have greater adult pressures we've seen that the importance is to keep that crop growing. So it's, once it's sown, it is to keep it growing. Um, adult attack, we've seen through work with Terra Nova in France, it is relatively 
a short window of risk um, up to that three to four leaf stage. Uh, if you've got the right nutrition, the right soil conditions, you can get through that adult adult risk period relatively quickly if you choose the right variety. Um, when you look into the spring, uh, that's when the larval pressures really become more important. And I think plant populations, sowing windows, nutrition really is very important in, in getting that plant to that stage where it can withstand larval damage. It's where the larvae rest that's uh, intriguing. Yeah, so the larvae need to be in, in sort of a habitat where they can where they can grow and thrive. Um, if you've got lower plant populations with bigger leaves, the larvae will quite happily stack, uh, sit in the leaves, in the petioles. Uh, and that's what we saw, not this year, the year before, is that, that we had low plant populations, we had large canopies, and the leaves, the larvae sat in those leaves uh, and didn't migrate into the stems. Where you have thinner plant, where thinner plant stems, uh, the larvae will go into those stems, and that's where you really cause that major crop loss. And we're going to have real problems at the moment because the variation in soil moisture levels around the country, uh, particularly important, therefore, to, to consider when to start planting. Yeah, I think that's going to be key this year. And I think that will be a massive reflection on the area zone. Um, my advice would be that soil moisture is absolutely critical. Um, us breeders, we've seen massive progression in the vigour. And that tends to be the main driver for people who choose their Aussie grape varieties, the vigour of the variety. I think what the vigour offers you isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of drilling into moisture. It, it offers you an extended window to wait until moisture is there. And that really is the key when looking at the variety choice. So it's a matter of patience. You, there is no set date for it. You have to think about it, go with your moisture levels and wait. Patience. Yeah, patience is the, is the virtue. It always has been. I think also great breeders and there's trialists. All the trials are drilled later in this country. And some of the best crops I've seen have been drilled, drilled into September. Um, there's no real urgency to drill early anymore. I think th that window is extended with the vigour that we're seeing in these new varieties. Mark, nutrition is vitally important here, as we just heard, getting this crop away. Uh, and the key elements all have a role to play. Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, nutrition, it, it is just so critical for successful establishment. And if we go back over the years, we've obviously done plenty of work looking at the effects nutrition has. Um, and in most recently, then when we did some work, we were looking at 140% improvement, i.e., you know, where we wanted um, that sort of 50 plants at the time, then where we hadn't used nutrition, we were down at 33. Where we had, we were close to our, our 50 at 46. So a real improvement. And not only that, when you use that nutrition successfully, that, that plant is often a one leaf or two leaves ahead of its neighbours that wouldn't have had nutrition. So it, not only is it sort of improving the establishment percentage, but it's also then accelerating that early establishment and growth that's all too important. We saw in those same trials, we saw a roughly a doubling of fresh weight um, in terms of the shoot growth. So bigger leaves, um, bigger stems, as Liam's pointed out, the importance of that. So it really is critical to get that in. In terms of the nutrients, the key ones, then again, nitrogen is fundamental for driving that growth and biomass but that must come in hand with the other nutrients phosphate the fuel of the crop the energy there to drive that growth um, and then you've got potassium when we're looking at that again improving root sort of below ground root developments but also adding some winter hardiness in there if if we do get a, a, a harsher winter the sulfur finally there in terms of those four nutrients then sulfur the, the sulfur proteins are those building blocks um, and 
really improving the nitrogen use efficiency. So yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, sort of yeah, key roles there for those major nutrients. When it comes to the amounts, then again, it, it slightly depends whether you're going to place your fertilizer or broadcast it. Placing is, if you like, the ultimate there in terms of getting that nutrient where it's um, available to the crop right next to that establishing roots. So placement would be ideal. But if you can't or don't have the system, then broadcasting is absolutely fine. The placement can bring a saving in fertilizer because typically when we're looking at application rates, then we want to be putting 20 kilograms of N and P into that crop when we're placing. If we are broadcasting, then we should be near that sort of 30 kilograms of N and P um, products. We've got there are various ones, but a classic would be the Yaramila Activa S. Um, looking at rates of 125 to 185 kilograms of uh, a hectare there. And Liam, boron has a key role to play here, certainly in helping resist uh, beetle attack. Yeah, so a, a lot of the crops I've seen this year have been boron deficient. You see that classic stem splitting in the in the early spring. There's been a drive by the industry and by growers to to pick these varieties which move quicker in the spring and i think we've seen that that helps with resilience to larval attack when the crop is moving that quickly boron needs to be available and mark can probably say better than i can but with that boron it is very soil immobile so you need those crops need to have that supply early on in the spring late autumn uh, just to be there when that crop is starting to stem extend so mark uh, it's boron is the same boron status the same across the UK or does it vary from soil to soil and area to area? I think there, there's some variation. What we do know is probably 80% of soils out there from the data that we see are deficient to some extent or not. You obviously get some soils that are very deficient and they really need special attention to get the, the amount of boron into the system. But generally, yeah, 80% of soils would have a level of deficiency. Analysis can help um, with that to know where you are. But I would just re-emphasize again, as Liam says, that, you know, driving for those big roots, big stems, then that's lots of cell division happening at that time. Um, and that cell division is where that high demand for boron comes in. So to really drive for those thick stems, big roots, then boron, critical part of the program. In terms of when you apply it, then again, it's it's making sure that as you get to that three, four true leaves, then we're starting to lock that into the program through the products that are available. Brassitrel Pro being a classic from our sort of stable there that's got some boron in it. If you've got real deficiency of boron, then you might need to add a little bit more into that mix. Um, just to get the, the rates of boron application up, but critical part of the programme. Is it worth mentioning micronutrients here or not? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mentioned the Brassadrill Pro. I mean, it, it does contain those um, other nutrients in there, which add to um, the product, if you like, and those nutrients that really come into play um, for improving i guess winter hardiness as much as anything getting it through the winter so you've got the boron as we said in there but you've then got manganese magnesium and molybdenum all um, in there to support that autumn growth period liam there are always new rate varieties on offer but what trends are you noticing in the choices being made by those particularly those coming back to the crop i think the trends have been quite clear to see i think before 
the loss of neonics really the country was pretty split between 50 50 between conventionals and hybrids those who stuck in oilseed rape tended to stay with the hybrids um, and we've seen that as people have moved back in is those hybrids have really taken favor in the market i think earlier drilling people haven't often combined their crop before they're they're sowing so actually farm saving seed isn't an option um, but trait stacking, which we've been able to do as breeders, and that's the sort of the core of our breeding program, is that trait stacking approach. We're able to stack in pod shatter resistance, TYV resistance, um, FOMA resistance um, into those plants. The technology we can include in those hybrid varieties mitigates as much risk for growers. Um, so it's not just thinking about the establishment, it's thinking about the entire growing process and how much yield we can secure on farm. Um, so hybrids with that trait stacked approach that Limagrain have been using for some years now, really has sort of seen that sort of take off well in the marketplace. Yeah, when you're trying to balance traits and look at all the various traits and options, what would you be your priority as far as you're concerned? Um, I think TYV is a fundamental. I think TYV is effectively... TYV? TYV, so turnip yellow is resistant. So that's a, a virus spread by misers. Um People are not that fond on spraying insecticides now, but TYV is effectively like having long COVID. Uh, it just puts the crop on the back foot all the way through. So when you're looking at establishment, you're looking at stem sort of rapid growth in the spring, it constantly knocks the plant back. Um, so TYV is a fundamental in, my, in our eyes, uh, along with pod shatter. I think pod shatter is, is the ultimate in terms of that final level of security. Yes, it's not until harvest, um, but when the pod shatter becomes relevant, you have spent as much as you're going to spend on that crop. You spent all the fer- fertilizer costs, you spent all the fungicide costs, all the diesel costs. The only cost you haven't spent is the diesel to combine it. So it is that final level of security, um, which is what our program has been about. It's about getting high yield potential, but it's about securing high yield potential uh, with genetic traits. What about seed rates? Um, you've mentioned already plant populations. Uh, that presumably is quite important as well. Yeah, so we, we've done a lot of work with with the likes of ADAS and, and the Yen project, and it's allowed us to pull out a lot of a lot of differences. Um, we know from the work that's been done by HDB and Sasha White that actually lower plant populations are the ones that are more resilient to larval attack. Um, the thicker you sow a crop, the thinner the stems become. So it's not a case of you end up with more larvae per meter squared or per plant. You end up with more larvae per plant, full stop. Um, and those stems are more vulnerable. So lower plant populations helps the plant grow naturally. You end up with more branching, uh, a deeper pod set. Um, the difficulty, of course, is establishing lower populations, and that's where the risk comes in. Um, but selecting the right varieties, those hybrid varieties with that F1 vigour, getting your crop nutrition right gives you a little bit more confidence in establishing low populations so you're aiming for 35 plants per meter squared as, as an optimal um, but of course the challenge in the last couple of years has been establishing low populations and the drilling depth comes into this as well drilling depth is important obviously you don't want to be too deep because if you get a plant coming out of the ground that's been drilled too deep then that cotyledon is very vulnerable to, to larval uh, to adult damage so it is a balancing act but again, moisture it, moisture is the key. Oilseed rape doesn't take a lot to chit. If you put oilseed rape on kitchen paper in your, in your windowsill, uh, it will chit overnight. It's like cress. Um, so moisture is key, but the moisture needs to be of a sufficient level to keep that crop growing once it has started. The worst thing you can do is establish an oilseed rape crop, get it germinated, get it on one leaf, and then it sit there because then that is the prime pickings for adult flea beetle damage. 
Well, that's we've covered a huge range now in a in fairly short time, what, 15 minutes so far. Um, what would you say are the, the key things you want listeners, Liam, to, to take away from this? I think the key is is that vigour and establishment in, in oilseed rape, it's all about moisture and it's about patience. I know that's not an easy thing for me to say. I, I work Farm workloads are very busy and I appreciate that. Orseed rape is a very resilient crop. It has a much wider sown window than people think it does, and particularly these newer hybrids, which are relatively new in terms of how we farm them. Soil moisture is absolutely key. Once you've established an orseed rape crop, the most important day is the day it's sown, but it's keeping it growing from that point that it is sown, and that's the most important thing. Uh, a key message which uh, is quite common with Yara and that's you know we're back to good old agronomy and good old yeah. crop husbandry Mark your bullet points what, what do you reckon that people should should remember I think it is that critical bit about planning to be successful um, you know and there's a lot at stake the, the value of the crop is tremendous the value of the inputs are high so lots at stake so really plan for success there and I think from that then yeah, be proactive about the nutrition. We know it works. So get that um, either placed or broadcast um, MPKS product on um, at drilling. Really do again, make sure, as Liam said, get that boron into the program um, so that you're sort of proactively managing that for those thick stems. And then again, just finally use, use that farm data that you've got use trials data that's out there all to make better decisions and really manage risk out of the crop nutrition program rather than managing risk in and sort of play a risky game with it so yeah they would they would be my key points i think mark tucker of yara and liam wilkinson of limograin thanks for the best practice roundup for oilseed rape and let's hope the crops going into the ground this summer and autumn reward the growers as much as we all hope I'm Ken Rundle and I'll be back in a couple of weeks time with another of this podcast series. In the meantime, let's hope the harvest has as few interruptions as possible. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.